Thank you, Julie. And thank you, everyone, uh, for your uh, wonderful welcome. Uh, it is fantastic to be here, and it's a great privilege to be opening up God's Word together and to be encouraging each other from it. Uh, let me pray before we begin. Uh, dear Lord, uh, we do thank you that we gather together like this uh, as brothers and sisters to hear your word, to praise you. Uh, we pray that as I speak that I am faithful to your word. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit uh, touches each of us, that convicts us uh, of what we need to hear today, uh, that we may grow to know and to love you more and more. Amen. When I was little, uh, my brother taught me how to ride a bike. Uh, it was a pretty simple process. He said, I'll hold the seat, and what I want you to do is to simply keep your head up and pedal hard. Okay? So that's what I did. You know, I'm very enthusiastic, and I'm, I'm pedaling hard, looking up, you know, steering a little bit, and it's all going pretty well. And in fact, after a little while, it, it took me some time to realize that he had actually just let go at some point. And, and here I was, so focused on pedaling that I, that I hadn't realized. And I think from my brother's perspective, it was a bit of a, a win-win situation. If he let go and I crashed, then, then that would have been kind of funny to watch. Uh, if I kept on going, then, you know, thanks very much. Yeah, his work here is done. Uh, and so uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself at this point. You know, I'm in control. You know, I can turn left. I can turn right. I can pedal. I can stay upright. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready, you know, to play with the big boys. And uh, next door to our place, there used to be a hill, which in my memory was really steep, but it probably wasn't. Uh, and at the end of this was sort of a big bushy flower bed. And so my, my brother used to pedal down this hill and then, you know, they get almost to the end and they'd hit the brakes and do this big slide to the end, right? And I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so, you know, I can ride a bike now. And so I, I, I come onto this hill and I'm pedaling hard, and I get about two-thirds of the way down, and I realise that I didn't actually know how to brake. And I feel that that would have been a helpful part of the first lesson, how to brake, but, but that got left out. And so in a split second, I realised that there's really only one option, and I just let go of the handlebars and eject off the back. Uh, and I can sort of go tumbling into a heap into the bushes, which, you know, when you're little, I probably fell about this far, right? You know, but it was very dramatic in my brain at the time. Uh, and so often in life, you know, we can feel in control, you know, right up until that moment when we're not. Uh, and if you think about our life more broadly, actually there's lots of things where we're not really in control. So, for example, we're all born with particular personalities and abilities and intelligences. Uh, we're all born into our particular family with both positive and negative experiences. Uh, we all experience and are shaped by different events in our life. Uh, even when we control those events, we can't always foresee the outcomes of those events. Uh, we can live more or less healthy lives, but we can't actually control our health. And so today we're beginning a series in Ephesians, and it's all about praising God because He is the one who's in control. So in the ancient world, uh, Ephesus was a, a hugely influential uh, hedonistic city. 
And most significantly, from a a religious perspective, it had the Temple of Artemis, uh, which was so famous at the time, it was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, one person described it as more glorious than the pyramids. So if you think the pyramids are good, this thing was better. Okay, that's how, that's how big it was. Uh, and for, for Christians in Ephesus, they, they didn't have an easy start. So when we read back in, in the book of Acts, when Paul first arrives, he goes to the, the local synagogue, and after a couple of days of preaching about Jesus there, he gets kicked out and has to go next door to the local hall. And then he becomes so unpopular with the rest of the city that he almost causes a riot. Okay, so it's not an easy start. For Christians in Ephesus, they would have been like a fringe cult. You know, they didn't really fit in with the Jewish community and they didn't really fit in with anyone else. So imagine being a Christian in that city. You know, quarter of a million people, massive city, and you are just this fringe little group. Imagine the social pressure of being a Christian in that city. Yeah, it would have been so tempting, wouldn't it, to just think, you know, maybe I've got it wrong. You know, maybe Artemis really is the true and living God, or maybe I should really should go back to my Jewish heritage. I think for us in our, our modern context, the temptation uh, is not so much to go to one God or another God, but to give up God altogether. You know, we've moved on past the superstition of religion. You know, life, the universe, it's just one big cosmic accident. You know, we are the result of simply enough time and enough matter bashing together. There's no greater meaning, there's no greater purpose, there's no greater future. It's just about the here and about the now and about me. The passage that we're looking at today paints a far grander and more magnificent picture of who we are and where we belong in the universe. And it's a picture that starts with God being in control. It's God who created everything. It's God who works according to his will and purpose. And Paul wants to write to the Ephesians to say, remember who you are in this great city with all of these other gods, remember who you are and praise God. This passage we read today starts with the word, praise God. And at the end of each of the points, we keep hearing Paul come back to praise God for his glory. It's a picture of praise because God is in control. So the opening words of our letter provide our context. So Paul is an apostle by the will of God. So the the short version of of Paul's story. So Jesus has uh, died on the cross, risen, ascended, and the disciples are now beginning to tell everyone about Jesus, you know, starting in Jerusalem and, and, you know, moving out to the region to the ends of the earth. And Paul hates Christians. And so, you know, Christians for him are like a virus. And this virus is spreading out of control. And so he's committed himself to stamping out this virus before it goes any further. And so he heads off to a city called Damascus, uh, where he's going to imprison the Christians there. 
And on his way, he's struck blind by Jesus on the road. And Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? And so he goes from being a hater of Christians to three or four days later, being a Christian, standing up in the temple in Damascus, uh, in the synagogue in Damascus, uh, proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, it's one of the, the most wonderful conversion stories of the Bible. You know, if, you, if you think that someone could never become a Christian, think of the most staunch, you know, God-hating atheist. Well, that's kind of Paul. You know, and God does his work according to his purpose and will. And God saves Paul. And being set aside as an apostle is really important because what Paul's doing here is he's establishing his authority. When he writes, he's not just writing as a bloke with an opinion. Uh, he is writing as God's messenger, proclaiming God's word. So it's not a script. You know, God didn't sort of whisper in his ear, write this down. Uh, but he's inspired by God. So it's his personality, written in his style, in a particular context, inspired by God. And it's a letter written to the saints. It's written to Christians in that city. So most of them would have been from a Gentile heritage, so they used to follow Artemis or other gods, uh, but also some from a Jewish heritage. So they'd heard the good news about Jesus. They recognized that he was the Messiah, and they turned and believed. And so Paul writes to them, his opening words are, to praise God for his abundant blessing. I think when we hear the word blessing, we often throw it around pretty easily, you know, you know may God bless us. Uh, it's a good word. Uh, but when we hear the word blessing, we often think that God is most concerned about my you know, health and happiness and preferably also my wealth. And you know, we want God to make life easy and comfortable here and now. Uh, but the Bible teaches us that God is far less concerned about our comfort and far more concerned about our salvation and our relationship with him. God, when he think, talks about blessing, he talks about it from an eternal perspective. He wants more than just the here and now. He wants us saved. He wants us with him. And blessing starts with God, the Father, choosing us. So if you've got your Bible open, look at verse 4 and 5 with me. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He didn't choose us like we choose a puppy. You know, if you're ever going to, to buy a puppy for your family, uh, I keep making a running joke to my poor family, we're not buying a puppy. Uh, they're still hopeful. Hold on to that hope. But if you are going to buy a puppy, then you, you go to the pet shop or, or you go to the breeder or wherever you go, you know, the puppy place, uh, and, and you try to find, you know, the cutest, most lovable puppy there, you know, this very little ball of happiness, you know. Uh, that's kind of how we approach, you know, choosing things. You find the best one in, in you, that you can get, and that's what you buy. Uh, God does not choose us like we choose puppies. You know, he doesn't choose us because we are lovable. Uh, fortunately, he doesn't not choose us because we are unlovable. Before the creation of the world, before we did or said anything, 
God chose us to be holy and blameless, to be adopted into his family. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, was a very famous uh, preacher in England in the 1800s. Uh, This is how he describes his journey to realising that God is really in control. One night, when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. The thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then, in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. It's a great picture, isn't it? You know, when we talk about being Christians, uh, it's it's right to say, you know, I realised it was true. It's right to say, I repented, I am a follower of Jesus. Because from our perspective, that is completely true. It's a choice that we have made to follow God. But from God's perspective, actually, he is the one who chooses us. He is the one who opens our eyes. He is the one who directs the desires of our heart. And if you're a Christian here today, then that is incredibly liberating because most of life is about being judged by our abilities, what we can do, what we can achieve. So if you're good at soccer, then you get chosen for the team. Uh, If you are good at your job, you get chosen for the promotion. If you are socially capable, uh, then you are chosen to be popular. You know, the expression, we get what we deserve, uh, is usually used to motivate us for, you know, when we're being lazy. Uh, but it can take on a very cruel twist, can't it? When we feel it, dis- when you don't feel you deserve or are capable of very much. Uh, but God says, before anything, before you are lovable, before you are unlovable, God chose us. Imagine if being a Christian was all about being good enough for God. How could you possibly do that? How could you possibly stand before a holy, righteous and perfect God and feel worthy to be there? You know, the God who created everything, the God who created all of the universe, all of time, all of eternity. How could you possibly stand before God and feel worthy? Now, one of the Old Testament writers, Isaiah, he had a vision about standing before God. This is just a vision. This isn't the real thing, right? This is the vision version. This is how he describes his experience. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, that should be our response to a perfect God, overwhelmed. And yet, despite being completely unworthy, God chooses us, God adopts us, God makes us holy and blameless. And praise be to God, because it's only possible because of what Jesus has done for us. 
So verse 7, have a look at it with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. A redemption simply means to buy something back. So it was often used in the ancient world to describe a, a slave buying back their freedom. So Jesus dies on the cross to pay the price for our sin and to pay the consequence for our sin. So the cross in worldly terms really was a complete failure, wasn't it? You know, Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, you know, coming to save the world, you know, his great promised king, ends up on a cross completely humiliated. And the words, it is finished. And, you know, one group of people standing there would have heard those words as words of defeat. You tried, you failed. Uh, but for us, knowing the rest of the story, uh, we know it is finished. It's not tried and failed. It's complete. You know, he's come, he's died, he's paid the price for all our sin, not just, you know, for part of our sin for our past, but everything past, everything present, everything in the future. You know, we read today, uh, you know, from Numbers about, you know, the process they would go through to deal with sin over and over and over again. Uh, but Christ comes to die once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. It certainly doesn't mean that we now stand here perfect, does it? You know, we know as, as Christians that we continue to sin, but we also know that we no longer stand condemned for our sin. So we're no longer standing before God like a criminal, you know, waiting for a sentence to be passed down. We have been pardoned not because of our goodness, but because of God's grace. So God the Father chose us to be part of his family. God the Son makes it possible by redeeming us on the cross. And praise be to God, because this is according to his will and purpose. Verse 9, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time reached their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Throughout the whole Old Testament, we see this picture of a faithful God and a faithless people. And if you're watching, you wonder, how is this ever going to end? Because time and time again, we just see this cycle of you know God being gracious, humanity sinning, judgment, God being gracious, and goes round and round and round. And we, we know from reading the Old Testament that there was a Messiah and that God would use this Messiah to bring his kingdom. But after that, it was just all a mystery. And they certainly never anticipated that that Messiah would be a suffering Messiah on the cross. But in Jesus' death and resurrection we see that mystery revealed. It's really the climax of God's history, of God saving humanity and then working out his salvation for the future. I think uh, one of the most difficult parts of that is even sin was part of God's plan. So God knew before the creation of the world, not only would we be adopted into his family, but that adoption would happen through the death and the resurrection of his son. And that's difficult because that, that creates a little bit of discomfort that God would allow sin into the world. 
And sometimes we can't really understand all of that. So we know that God is completely sovereign. And we also know the Bible teaches us about our personal responsibilities before God. And we know that God is working everything out according to his good purpose and will to demonstrate his glory. And at that point, we have to recognize that God is God and we have to trust him in that and thankful and be thankful for the grace that we have shared in that, that he would choose to show us mercy. Because what Jesus has done on the cross gives us a guarantee of what he will do in the future. He has paid the price for everyone and in the future he will unite all things to himself. So if he came last time to bring salvation, next time he comes to bring restoration where we no longer have to deal with the consequences and the burden of sin, of our sin, of the brokenness of the world. It's a wonderful picture of our future, isn't it? An eternity with the things we love and without the things that we hate. The good things of God without the broken things. That's a wonderful hope to have. God the Father chooses. God the Son makes it possible through his death and resurrection. And God guarantees our future through his Son. Sorry, through his Spirit. Uh, verse 13 and 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So often uh, we can feel weak as Christians, can't we? we? We feel the burden and the weight and the temptation of sin. In fact, so often we can feel it's just easier to push God aside rather than feeling guilty for, for you know, the life that we're leading at times. At other times we can just feel incredibly unworthy. You know, how could God love me? Uh, sometimes we feel that God is incredibly distant. You know, is God even there? You know, maybe this really is uh, just me wanting to believe rather than reality. Uh, and sometimes you, you get to the point where you go, it's just really hard to hold on. You think, yeah, wouldn't it just be easier to go with the flow and be like, you know, the, you know, our broader community who spend most of their time completely ignoring God altogether? Yeah, if it was just about us holding on, it would just feel overwhelming. Uh, when I got to, uh, I grew up in a, in a Christian family, a church-going family, and uh, up until our high school years, uh, we were, you know, a, a pretty sort of normal suburban family doing normal suburban things. Uh, but when we got to, to high school, uh, my world really turned upside down. Uh, it was a combination of events. Uh, partly I hit adolescence, so that's always a, a tumultuous time of life. Uh, at the same time, uh, my, pe- my father uh, left our family, my parents uh, split up. Uh, and I had an awful lot of freedom, uh, which can sound really good, uh, but as a young person, you can also end up feeling very lost. Uh, and then by the time I got to the end of high school, uh, the, the friends who were with me at church, uh, who we'd prayed together, we'd read the Bible together, we'd been uh, in uh, you know, Bible studies together, uh, one by one, my closest friends uh, stopped believing. Uh, and, uh, and they just started to get, you know, entangled, uh, and consumed by the world around them. 
And I could see even at the time how, how that was drawing me in as well. You know, I was beginning to get entangled. And at the same time, I could also see God's mercy in it. You know, that God would put boundaries around me. You know, boundaries around my behavior. Boundaries around some of the consequences of my choices. I could see how God put very significant leaders in my life who encouraged me uh, to keep going as a Christian, encouraged me to love Jesus. Uh, I could see how he put other significant adults who weren't my leaders, but just were older, more mature adults to look up to. And looking back, I could just see God's grace and mercy in it. Yeah, if it was all about me holding on to God, I would have given up a long time ago. Uh, but it's not. Uh, it's about God holding on to me. Yeah, it's a bit like you holding on to a small child. You know, a small child, they can kick and scream all they want, but if you're holding on and you're committed, they're never getting out of there. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're, they're going to give up way before uh, you need to let go. Uh, and, and that's us with God. Yeah, and I don't say that for us to be complacent about sin or complacent about faith but to be confident that our salvation isn't about us doing more and about us being lovable. It's about God holding on to us. And if God has promised to hold on to us, if we have his spirit and he said he will never let go, then we can be confident that he will never let go. And that is a wonderful blessing. I think for some people, a passage like this raises the question, you know, can Christians fall away at all? You know, what, what happened to my friends who came with me to, you know, church and youth group who we prayed together? What happened to them? I think if you read one passage in the Bible, you might go, okay, I think Christians can fall away. And then you read another passage in the Bible and you think, no, I don't think Christians can fall away. Uh, but I think as we read the whole passage of Scripture, when we read all the Scriptures... Uh, the picture I firmly believe that comes out, I think it comes out in this passage very clearly, is that we cannot fall away. If, if we have God's Spirit guaranteeing our inheritance, then we cannot fall away. And I think for my friends, they love being affiliated with Christianity in the same way that they love being affiliated with motorbikes for a season, and they talked motorbikes and we rode motorbikes. Uh, but a time came when they just went, you know, enough of motorbikes, so I'll move on. Uh, and I think for some of them it's the same with their faith. You know, they, they love being around it for a season. Uh, it gave them a, a place to belong, uh, but they never really owned it. Uh, and that's uh, in the language of 1 John. Uh, they went out from us, but they were never part of us. Uh, and I think that's this passage today. If God has us, he will never let us go. Uh, today uh, we've gone on a journey from eternity to eternity. Uh, before the creation of the world, God chose us. In his son, he redeemed us. In his spirit, he guaranteed our inheritance. And in the future, he will unite all things according to his purposes and plans. Yeah, it's not all about us. And praise God for that. <laughs> yeah, God is at the center. God is in control. And I hope that that overflows into a peace and a confidence as you live for Christ each day. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can see something incredibly attractive about that. 
and pray that, you know, if it is true, if you're not a Christian, you're saying, oh, I'm just still wondering, then pray that God convinces you of it. You know, because it's such a, you know, we're talking more than just lifestyle and choices. You know, this is an eternity that we're talking about. God has given us and created us for grander things. And if you're a person here today who's perhaps struggling with life, it's hard to be a Christian, uh, circumstances are difficult, then know that God is for you uh, and know that God will never let you go. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. Uh, we are in awe of the fact that you would choose us uh, to be adopted into your family. Uh, we feel so profoundly unworthy to be adopted, uh, but at the same time we are so thankful for your love. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we reflect on your word today that it will overflow into praise, that we will praise you uh, for the mercy and the grace that you've given us. We praise you uh, that you hold on to us. We will praise you uh, as we go about our lives each day in both the good and the bad. Lord, in all things, help us to bring you glory. We pray for these things in your son's name. Amen.